0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside, as always, Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall. Uh, And Graham, we are getting ready to get back into Spring Ball. For those of you who don't know, we covered four spring football practices uh, at the University of Florida. Florida went on spring break, as did the football team, uh, and now they are coming back. Today is Tuesday, March 21st in the morning, and this afternoon, Graham, we will cover practice number five. So after one week, uh, we resume Florida spring practices. Things might look a little bit different, though, as we get back out to uh, the Florida football practice field. There's going to be a new face out there eventually, uh, but not necessarily new in the sense that people don't know who he is. It's Billy Gonzalez, uh, Florida's new wide receivers coach, hired in light of Kerry Colbert's departure for the NFL. Uh, Billy Gonzalez has spent two separate stints at the University of Florida. Uh, He is a longtime wide receivers coach. He was at Florida Atlantic for a year uh, and then was going to be the tight ends coach at Marshall before he was hired back at the University of Florida again to coach the receiver position. Uh, Graham, you are familiar with this hire. You have covered him. Uh, You have worked around Billy Gonzalez before. Tell me about what Florida is getting in its newest wide receivers coach uh, and just your thoughts overall on the hire. I think that's a good place for us to start today's show.
2: Yeah, the interesting thing before we get started is that the novelty of the spring schedule setup, where Florida had spring break in the middle of spring practice, which has – Not happened since I've been on the beat now, uh, heading into my, what, ninth season here in Gainesville. It's something that the players are unfamiliar with, the coaching staff as well. Players were reminded to go out there and keep taking care of their bodies, keep working out to not, you know, take any steps back before they get back in action here on Tuesday. It also gave Florida a window to make a hire in the middle of spring practice, and they continued assessing their options, and they went and got a guy in Billy Gonzalez who, as you noted, Jacob, two stints in Gainesville previously, where I think he had a great deal of success, also had a good deal of success at Mississippi State. I mean, when he was with the Bulldogs, they had the best passing offense, broke nearly every passing record. I think in that 2015 season, when he was there, he was in Gainesville during the two national championships under Urban Meyer with Dan Mullen as well, has coached, you know, Percy Harvin, Lewis Murphy, you name it, helped coach. Guys like Van Jefferson very recently, uh, Kadarius Tony. So he's a very familiar name around Gainesville, has developed a lot of guys. Uh, a little bit of an outlier, though. We were talking about it earlier, though. Doesn't have a ton of connections to Billy Napier and wasn't in Gainesville too long ago. So could have technically been retained by the new regime. That didn't happen, although we're seeing this now, you know, reunion of sorts what 15 months later for Billy Gonzalez uh, as he teams up with Billy Napier it's a pretty interesting hire in my mind I'm interested to see how he fits in to this coaching staff as well as his success in the current landscape recruiting is much different than it was 15 months ago I think everyone can say that whether it's the transfer portal that has just picked up at a massive rate or how critical Nil has been in recruiting not just recruiting uh you know transfers and high school players, but your current roster, um, retention. So it's really interesting to see how Billy Gonzalez for me, uh, how he does, um, in his now third stint with the Gators. It's very interesting hire in my mind, a lot to like there, but a ton of questions also for me.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I have some similar questions. I think that you bring up a good point. Billy Gonzalez is somebody who's developed a reputation uh, especially around Florida, is somebody who's a really good X's and O's coach. He understands the game at a very high level. Uh, he knows how to put wide receivers in a position to succeed in terms of route running, uh, you know, field positioning, uh, defensive reading, uh, and adjusting to what the defense is giving you. Uh, and there are a lot of former Florida wide receivers who can attest to that. They will tell you, uh, Van Jefferson, Kadarius, Tony, among them, uh, that this is a guy you want to work with. He is a very good skill developer. He understands the position of wide receiver very deeply uh, and he knows how to get the most out of his guys in that sense. That of course is a very attractive thing uh, in a wide receivers coach as somebody who knows how to coach the position. There are legitimate concerns and they have been raised by people uh, such as ourselves, such as fans. Uh, His recruiting has been something that has been questionable in the past. Uh, People wonder about his potency on the recruiting trail. That's something we're going to have to keep an eye on as time goes on. You never know how somebody changes. I would also say this with regard to people who are concerned to a degree uh, with regard to Billy's recruiting potency. uh, Being around high-level recruiters, which I think Florida has several of uh, at the moment, can change the way somebody operates. I think that environment uh, goes a very long way in dictating exactly how good or bad coaches are at recruiting. Uh, It is no secret that recruiting was not exactly a strength under Dan Mullen, when Billy Gonzalez was last at Florida, uh, was that a motivating factor in in his lack of what a lot of fans would would call you know potent or effective recruiting? I would say it probably was, and so I'm I'm curious to see exactly what uh, Billy Gonzalez will be able to do as a recruiter now that he's in a staff that clearly has prioritized such things. Uh, my question to you, Graham, though, is. What does this high? What does this hire say? What what, what does this mean for Florida uh, and the state of the program? Because I wonder, and I'm again, I'm not saying that this was the case, but I do wonder: uh, Was Billy Gonzalez available to be hired by Florida after the coaching staff turnover? Dan Mullen is fired. Billy Napier is hired. Uh, Billy Gonzalez is a free agent essentially as a coach at that point, point. Uh, and Florida, I would assume. Had the opportunity to retain him instead, goes and hires Kerry Colbert, who is a talented coach in his own right. Uh, you know, we spoke very highly throughout his one season in Gainesville of, of Kerry Colbert. A lot of people think very highly of him, he's a talented guy. Uh, but when you choose to hire a guy like Kerry Colbert, if Billy Gonzalez was available and then you go back and you hire Billy Gonzalez, what does that say about you? Now, I'm not suggesting that Billy Gonzalez was 100% available, but I do wonder. Uh, your thoughts on that matter?
2: It's a very good question. I think that there's a lot of assumptions we can make about what it says about the program, about what it says about the situation Florida found itself in, what it said about the initial coaching search, what each party may have been looking for. Maybe Billy Gonzalez was looking for a little bit of a fresh start. Maybe that's what he thought he wanted after seeing a bunch of guys that he was loyal with had worked with at many previous stops and had success with see it all kind of fall apart a lot of those guys did come away I think from that 2021 season burnt out I think if you asked Dan Mullen and and a lot of those coaches how they felt towards the end there when everything had just kind of not gone right for them over the last year I mean this was a team that was ranked inside the top seven right not even a a year and a half prior, and to see that all fall apart and come undone, and the perception uh, I think it led a lot of people to a fresh start. You know, I use the term outlier in a sense, but of that coaching staff, there, Billy Gonzalez was really one of the only guys who took another job almost immediately. I mean, there were several other assistants on that staff who did so, but he stayed in the state and took another job, so he remained familiar with the landscape of Florida. I think that is really, really critical. When you assess coaches who kind of were, were burnt out, Gonzalez still had energy to continue coaching and stayed in state to remain familiar with the landscape, what it took, seeing how NIL has changed, understanding what it took to you know navigate with a booster collective, all the things that it takes, so I think that that worked especially in his favor, while also I think allowing him to recharge a little bit, get some perspective, and maybe want to make that return to Gainesville once he kind of had that, I hate to say year off because he continued working, but year away from this program. And a lot has changed also of this Florida program. You know, the Hevner Football Training Center was under construction still when he was here. Um, Like I said, NIL, Transfer Portal were still kind of in their infancy at the time. It, It, I think, is also it speaks to you you asked about the you know state of the program it speaks to i think the situation that they found themselves in losing three sure. assistants in that late portion where the nfl has added an extra week to the schedule so this happens a little bit later where you can't necessarily get a great option in before spring camp you get that extra window due to the novelty of the schedule like i mentioned earlier that allows you to go out there and get someone who meets the credentials and While Florida has taken, I think, a chance on a lot of, I hate to say unproven, but younger coaching options recently from Russ Calloway, Austin Armstrong, even going back last year to Patrick Toney, we've seen a lot of younger coaches on this coaching staff. I think that Billy Gonzalez, a lot of experience, is probably one of the more safe options that they could have got at this time of the options available from you know, familiar with the landscape, the program, even people on this coaching staff, there's a lot of retention from a behind the scenes portion. That's going to allow Gonzalez not to have to play a ton of catch up. Now that he's back in the building. I think that that is absolutely something maybe an intangible that is, is part of this coaching search here is that they had to get someone who met all the criteria could get it here and hit the ground running because they knew where everything was and were familiar with everything. And that's something that we have to factor into in my mind, the coaching search and, and assessing um, this hire is all the factors involved and and who could fit that criteria, Jacob.
1: Yeah. And, and look, I, I also think it's important to say that, you know, Billy Gonzalez's track record as a, as a player developer as somebody who's able to, you know, see scheme and understand scheme and take it and put it into a way that's understandable for college age kids. And, You know the way that he's able to get the most out of his athletes, as we've seen several times in recent years. All of those things are critically important, and I don't want it to seem as though I'm I'm dismissing or any of us are dismissing uh, the importance of that. I do wonder, uh, you know, somebody like Billy Gonzalez, who has been around for quite some time. uh, He is going into his—I mean, it—it's over. It's got to be like a dozen now stops uh, in his coaching career since it started in the mid '90s. Uh, He's 51 years old. Uh, this, is, this is, you know, uh, this, he's, he's later on in his career at this point. He's been around for a very long time. Experience matters. Uh, but do his ways and what he's learned and how he's been successful throughout his career, how does that translate now to Billy Napier, modern football? Uh, how does that recruit, how does the recruiting translate? Is he able to catch up uh, and be as, uh, you know, effective a recruiter in a staff that really requires and demands that? Uh, as somebody who does come from a different style of football, just based on his career trajectory and how long he's been in the game. uh, This is somebody who might have a different way of going about things. What is the adapting process? What does the acclimation process uh, look like for a guy like Billy Gonzalez? We can only wait and see. Uh, We will find out. I will add this. Uh, FAU last year did not have a receiver, I believe, over 750 receiving yards. And granted, there are so many factors that go into that. Uh, it is not necessarily something you can just put on the wide receivers coach, but something to keep in mind as we proceed uh, in Billy Gonzalez's third now ten, uh, stint at the University of Florida. Uh, Graham, let's talk about spring ball really quickly here before we move on and talk some basketball. Uh, Florida, again, like I said, is going into its fifth spring practice. We're just over a quarter of the way through. Uh, what, what has stood out to you so far just through four practices, be it an individual player, uh, be it a vibe uh, type thing, you know, if you're picking up on something that is impressing you, uh, just in terms of the operation, that that counts. Uh, just what 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 maybe stands out to you, Graham, now through a quarter of the way of Billy Napier's second spring ball at the University of Florida.
2: Yeah, the motto I've been kind of been using is, uh, you know, less talking, more yelling. I'll say that. I think that, and that's that's a good thing. I think that last year you saw a good deal of instruction kind of wiping the slate clean, going over how to do things, erasing bad habits, a lot of instruction. And now you can really have a good base of of certainty among a good group of guys, especially a lot of the young guys that were retained. I know that you have a lot of you know graduate transfers and unfamiliar guys in here, but the younger guys that, that played a good bit last year and the coaching st- staff that's here, there's a lot of familiarity about how to get players to respond to coaching and what you can do. And that I think has led to just a lot more comfortability. I've used that term a good bit as well, but the yelling is just, it's coming from a good place where Florida understands what to do. The energy is high. I I don't think it speaks necessarily to the urgency so much of what Florida understands that they need to accomplish coming off a six and seven season, attempting to improve upon that. While losing a significant amount of last year's roster, it's obviously a tall task, but I think the energy that we've seen right now is coming just from a good place of comfortability. And I think that can only help Florida. Um, Certainly several positions in terms of numbers have, you know, really interested me. I've spoke about safety a good bit, Real quick, you know, Jamarcus Weston and and Billy Gonzalez have a good deal of catching up to do now that Jamarcus is in that safety room. Those numbers are extremely light there. We've talked about this, we're writing about this, but there are several positions on this roster right now quarterback, running back, offensive line, safety, where at some point, whether it's in late April, or in the summer, the Gators are going to have to add to their roster at those positions. So I think you're seeing a lot put on those younger guys and guys making moves even to new rooms, whether it's the the freshmen coming in Sharif Denson, Jakeem Jackson, a lot is on those guys right now to step up and contribute right now in that defensive backfield um, and seeing Corey Raymond take over that entire unit. Uh, I, I think can certainly benefit that group. It's one that has stood out to me right now, knowing that, There's a lot of new pieces in there and the unit could grow um, as we get into uh, the offseason, Jacob.
1: I think that's a good point. I, uh, we will be out there at Florida's spring football practices uh, every day that they practice. That's Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Today uh, being Tuesday, we should have this podcast up before we get to practice. So uh, if you're listening to this, we are likely at practice as we speak, but you should keep it locked on swamp247.com for all of our spring ball coverage. We have lots of it. Uh, including practice reports, practice insider notes, uh, and sights and sounds, a new addition to the content repertoire at Swamp 247, uh, where we give you a look inside practice and basically let you see what we see. Uh, and so we are uh, in, in it now with spring ball, and we hope that you tune in with the coverage there. Graham, let's transition off the gridiron into the basketball court. Florida basketball just wrapped up its first season. Under head coach Todd Golden, finished the campaign 16 and 17 overall. Uh, it marked the first sub 500 record at Florida since 2014 15, which was Billy Donovan's last season in Gainesville. Uh, but a whole lot to unpack with regard to that record. Uh, Florida had several significant injuries, uh, be it a concussion to Alex Fudge in the middle of the season, a broken hand, of course, suffered uh, by Colin Castleton on February 15th, which took him out of action for the team's final seven games. Uh, CJ Felder, who was a rotational piece in the team's front court, uh, missed a month of the season due to personal matters that required him to step away from the team. So 16 and 17 overall, I know that preseason expectations, including those set by Todd Golden, uh, were of that of a tournament team. That was obviously not even remotely the case. Uh, what, what are your takeaways from this season? Graham, I know that there are a lot of Florida fans, uh, who were dissuaded by the results in year one under Todd Golden. Is that fair? Should they be dissuaded? What what, what were your takeaways?
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: I've said time and time again that the timeline for college basketball coaches is a little bit longer than football. It's hard to get a coach to come in, instantly revamp the roster, and be a very competitive team. Does it happen? Is it happening right now? Absolutely. Look at Kansas State. Look around the SEC. Teams have done it. I, I don't think necessarily it's an indictment if you don't do it. I think that there are so many variables that could go wrong that could lead a season to just kind of fall off, you know, that COVID year, John Calipari had a nine win team with a lot of promising freshmen guys who were headed to the NBA. So I think that when you just look at the parity of the sport, how many good coaches are in the sec, it's it's only getting tougher. It it doesn't really speak as an indictment to me when you miss the NCAA tournament, when you're really, really close and only the top 10% of the 350 plus teams are getting into the tournament. I don't think that you, necessarily can call it a failure an abject failure if you don't make it is are there questions to answer moving forward absolutely i think that you look at the roster those questions started before the season ended and sometimes that can be a little bit insensitive to the guys playing their final games and And i do i do feel bad when that conversation kind of turns to that topic when teams are still fighting for their life necessarily i, I do feel bad and guys like myron jones and kyle Loftin, are playing their final college basketball games. And, and, you know, Colin Castleton can only watch when people start talking about the future, when current players are finishing up their career, there is a part of me that, you know, feels a little bit conflicted. Now that Florida's season is in the rear view, obviously the roster conversation picks up a whole lot. The transfer portal is going to be popping off here pretty soon. I I don't know how else to call it. Any other than that graduate transfers can already start communicating with teams so Every, everybody can communicate at this point okay we're, we're, yes. we're in
1: fully open so the the, the portal for all gotcha. players open the day after selection Sunday so so it's it's full on pandemonium now
2: yeah it it's this this is the time where teams who are actually in the postseason I've said this before actually are kind of at a disadvantage when it comes to yeah. re re you know configuring their roster retooling rebuilding they it's tough for them to do that. Yeah, they have these, what, Monday through Wednesday, you know, days where they can theoretically get away and communicate, but otherwise you're, you know, attempting to compete, which is in turn, of course, helping your recruiting efforts. But I digress. That is something that is happening right now. You've seen already several players from Florida enter the transfer portal, Kowasi Reeves, Jason Jatobo, Niles Lane. Guys who really saw, I think, their roles at Florida not really pan out the way that they wanted to. Jason Totobo was a guy who fought his way back from four surgeries, has another one upcoming, still has battles to fight, has you know gotten several shots in the starting lineup. It's it could work out for him elsewhere. He may not have thought that he got the ideal shot he got at Florida, but I, I think that. A lot of people saw that he wasn't in um, their best you know, competitive favor, I guess I should say, yeah. uh, moving forward. And same could be said with guys like Niles Lane and Kwasi Reeves, although I have to say those latter two, I do think it's worth monitoring where they land. I think at the right program, things could, could click for both of them where their development could continue to take off. I think it both have promising attributes. Niles Lane, if he can become a consistent offensive weapon for a team he can become a valuable player for a program uh i think maybe one you know even in the power six kawesi reeves the same had very promising metrics i think he still has a lot of uh, a promising future ahead of him as well a lot of potential great size he just continues to need to develop and and Hill, you know, has, he has a good chance of making it. Let me just say that I think for Florida, they have a huge rebuild in front of them with the roster with losing those guys. There's more attrition coming in my mind in the coming days. And that leaves Florida having to rebuild the majority of their roster and how they do that for the next two months. We'll talk about it here more on the podcast and we'll write about it on swamp two, four, seven, but how they do that moving forward, I think will have the greatest determination on Florida's competitive chances next season. I know that sounds obvious, but in this league, in college basketball, if you don't land the right roster, coaching can only go so far. And I saw a lot of promising coaching things from Florida's coaching staff this season. The biggest thing for me is if they get the personnel in place to go out and apply what they know and how they do what they do to win in this league. And what I saw this season is Florida did not have the size to do that at a high rate this year. They need to go out and land some great guys in the front court to compete next year, as well as a, some some very promising backcourt pieces, of course, losing several guards from last year's team. It's going to have to be a very, very extensive overhaul for Florida yeah. to have a chance to compete, as they know that they can.
1: Uh, 100%. 100% that, to go back to... Uh, something that i mentioned earlier i think that there are a lot of people who are discouraged uh by a sub 500 record in todd golden's first season and 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 look i don't i don't blame you i don't blame you if you're upset or disappointed uh if you thought that this team had the potential to be more than what it was uh but i think that there are two things that can be true i think that the preseason expectations for this team were way too high uh and that was a byproduct of You know, what Todd Golden had to say, Uh, this is a guy who said that one easy barometer for our success in year one is whether or not we make the NCAA tournament. To be perfectly honest with you, Graham, that's probably not something that should have been said. But you have to keep in mind, this is a young coach who's learning on the job, who doesn't necessarily have the experience to know that that is going to be something that could potentially be, you know, a problem for him, a comment that could bite him in the back. Uh, or be used on. against him so much, right? That's sure. who knew that saying it, people would take it that literally. Well, and uh, and and I don't fault them for taking it literally. He did say that sure. one thing that would define our success this season is we get to the tournament or not. That is that is in no uncertain terms stating we are either successful or not successful based on whether or not we reach the field of sixty eight and get into the NCAA tournament. It's it, it's cut and dry. He they did not do that, and so look. Is that something that should have been said Uh, considering who the team was forced to bring back guys like Jason Jatobo, Kowasee Reeves, Myron Jones, Florida didn't really have an opportunity to out recruit those guys. Florida was stuck and kind of hamstrung based on the timing of their hiring. Uh, They didn't have a full staff in Gainesville until April. Uh, I know that Florida's coaches were not living in their housing situations for the first month that they lived in Gainesville. They all lived together. Uh, which made things very difficult. You're figuring out your personal life. Uh, you're worrying about moving your family. Uh, and, and, and they did not have a full staff in place. So you're doing all of those things, which have to happen. And, and you know, no matter what people say, those are things that are required. They have to be able to establish themselves personally. Uh, and you're also trying to scout the transfer portal, where you're trying to bring in essentially a brand new team to reshape Florida basketball in a year. It was impossible. It was never going to happen. Now, do I think that Florida's roster as it was had the ability to win more than 16 games? I do. I think that there were several games where Florida had its flaws, uh, be it slow starts that we saw nearly every single game, uh, be it poor rebounding, uh, be it poor transition defense at the beginning of the season, uh, not necessarily closing out close games in a manner that allowed them to, to hold on to victories. All of those things were certainly issues and things that we'll need to keep an eye on. However, there was a lot that did not go to plan, in my opinion. Uh, Kowasi Reeves, I don't think, provided the pop that Florida was expecting him to provide. Uh, Trey Bonham is an interesting situation to me. Uh, I think that this is a guy who uh, has the potential to be very effective for Florida. I I think if he chooses to return to Florida for a second season, he has the potential to take a step forward. Uh, Did things go perfectly For Trey Bonham in his first season as a Florida Gator, I don't think so. I think that there there was more that could have happened. Uh, Alex Fudge was really good at times and fell off at other times. The concussion uh, that he suffered against Mississippi State seemed to be a challenge for him. Uh, It took until conference play, really, for Kyle Lofton to find his form and, and to play the role that I think Todd Golden foresaw for him. And then, of course, there's the injuries. Like I mentioned earlier, Fudge got hurt. Castleton got hurt. Uh, Felder missed a month uh, due to personal circumstances. Lofton opens the season with a a groin injury that is limiting for roughly three weeks and suffers a back injury that is challenging for him and forces him to have to play through an injury. Will Richard has a significant knee injury that holds him out of camp for a month. He comes back and tries to play on that and does so valiantly. Uh, Easily Florida's best offensive player this year, uh, but he's hurt for the first month of the season. Is there a world in which preseason expectations were just too high and Florida didn't match them but was roughly within the pocket of what should have been expected with this team? Is that possible? I personally think so. I don't know how you feel about that, uh, but but I'm not discouraged by the first season. I think there are a lot of things that I need to see happen, uh, especially now that Florida, like you said, has a, has a significant roster turnover on its hands.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned a lot of those things because I think a lot gets forgotten about because we can sit here easily in mid-March and say, Oh, you know, the loss of Colin Castle and kind of ended, you know, Florida's chances of making it. Yeah. And I think that Florida would say it's because they kind of found themselves there. You can't really rely on a freshman to come in necessarily and instantly kill it and be, you know, this amazing guy, Riley Kugel needed, you know, 15 plus games to get going, then you lose two of your, you know, starting five players to injury at a really, really critical part in the season at the beginning of the season, when teams are gelling and they're trying to learn how to play together on the court and you're trying to develop confidence. It's hard to do that when you're playing through injury. And then you factor in the fact that Florida was extremely proud of the fact that they constructed a difficult non-conference schedule. You and I sat there in the first week of the season And no offense to anyone out there and sat there and said, Florida is going to lose to FAU tonight by 10 points. We did. And I don't think a lot of people at the time believed that that was going to happen. And I think that now we're sitting here in mid-March and FAU is, you know, in the sweet 16 and people are saying, well, of course that team was going to lose to FAU. Look how they did. But you factor in, they played FAU, Oklahoma, UConn, Xavier, West Virginia, all within the first six weeks of the season while they're trying to get gelled and, you know, build this new roster and rely on underclassmen like Alex Fudge, who, you know, playing a critical role at the starting four spot at just 19, Riley Kugel, you know, his first year of basketball. And then kind of the other thing that we didn't mention too much, and this is something that I think Florida's coaching staff is one of those questions that I need to see moving forward, how they answer is you need to obviously construct your roster with players who can play down the stretch the yeah the injury to Colin Castleton absolutely hindered Florida's competitive chances just as much as building a roster with several players who were unable to contribute no disrespect to Niles Lane even Trey Bonham Alex Schmizek you know played valiantly Jason Jatobo Denzel Aberdeen, but that's five guys right there that Florida was unable to significantly count on to help them win games down the stretch in SEC play. When a majority of your roster, you are not trusting to get you through even critical stretches of games when guys need a rest and when your entire starting roster is playing 30 minutes a night. When you can't stagger them, you do kind of can you know, increase their chances of injury. Think about that. If Colin Castleton played less minutes, if they relied on Colin Castleton less, that is absolutely correlated with a decreased chance of him getting injured. The less he's on the court, the less chance. It's just, so for all that being said, they have to go out there and land, have a roster of 10, 11 guys who you could be comfortable playing at anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes a night. Florida did not have that this season. They didn't even get a 13th guy in camp until what late July, the first week of August after off season workouts. I, I, that can't happen this year. They have to have a stable base in place by the end of, end of may, in my mind, guys fully on campus in the off season, working together and 10 to 11 guys that they feel comfortable contributing. That is a tall task. And it's something that this coaching staff is going to have to go out there and nail in my mind over the next two months.
1: Look, and, and, and here's the other thing. I, I, I think that Florida needs to get to a point where it is able to, like judging this team is difficult because I really truly don't feel as though Florida had its guys based on its coaching staff to be able to really demonstrate what it can do. We saw flashes of very good play, I thought, throughout the season. We saw flashes of, of, of very poor play throughout the season. But I guess my point is I am waiting to see what Florida looks like when it has its desired personnel in place, when it has a roster full of guys who it recruited, whether they're transfers or true freshmen or whatever the case may be, uh, or, or guys it chooses to retain, because here's the thing, the the guys who were required to stay on the roster in year one, whoever they were might former Mike white players who remain Gators under Todd golden in the first season you don't know what influenced that. You you, you don't know what caused those players to have to stay. We do know that they don't have to be there for year two. Florida can now make its moves to align its roster towards its beliefs and how it thinks it needs to manage a basketball game and a basketball team uh, and, and, and roster construction. There is no excuse at this point. And so I am eager one way or another to find out exactly what Todd Golden can bring to the table in his second season with a roster he's recruited with a roster he's evaluated uh, and, and what exactly that looks like. It, it's, it's an interesting situation to me. Uh, I don't, I don't feel too poorly about where Florida basketball is headed. I will also say this. Uh, they are in it with a ton of transfer options right now, uh, talking to well over 50 guys. There are several players who are emerging as more uh, focused options. We've had those covered uh, over at swamp247.com. We would encourage you, to check that stuff out for more information uh, on Florida's basketball recruiting as we get deeper into the offseason. Uh, Graham, last section here of the podcast before we call it a day. Uh, Florida baseball is off to one hell of a start to its season. Uh, they are 18-4 and four through 22 games, third-ranked team in the nation. Uh, I would argue that they have the, the country's most potent lineup at the moment. Uh, has to be among the best starting rotation uh, in the country uh, from a – uh, an expectation standpoint for somebody who's been here for a decade now, I believe uh, really understands that the fan base and the market, what are the expectations you think this year, Graham, with, with Florida baseball? And, and I'll, I'll wrap up with some thoughts on the roster, but just what, w- what does this team need to do to keep the fans happy in year 16 under Kevin O'Sullivan? Expectations are really high
2: here. You have to be exemplary to be notable here in Gainesville. I, I think that may sound a little bit unfair, but you look at the caliber of player who has come here through here recently. You look at having one of the best stadiums in college baseball, if not the best to compete. You know, there's a ton of parity in the sport. You know, this to be able to win it all takes even a good deal of luck. And the sec is only going to get tougher next year. You have to be great. This is a team that I think there are a lot of fans still in the fan base Maybe holding their breath to make sure that this is real, that this could be a you know a Tennessee type dominant team from last year. You know, you mentioned four losses. Teams don't get off to 31 and one starts. That that doesn't happen very often. To be 18 and four is incredible. Right now, it's Florida and LSU right now at at the top of the SEC in my mind. I I think you got to give Florida a little bit of a a notch above the tigers right now, even though LSU holds down that number one spot, but expectations are enormous here. A lot of disappointment from last year, the way things went down. Sometimes the rain just kills your season. If it doesn't happen last year, we're having a different conversation about how the season at in Gainesville ended last year. If Florida can keep this up, avoid injury, if they can get some guys back, I know that guys like Coppola had a little bit of a a setback, but if they can get uh, even better, and more in a groove this could be an extremely special team but it's a long season they're going to have to yeah. keep this up an incredibly promising start and i think that if they keep it up you'll start to see expectations really re- re- align with reality where the fan base really really gets behind how good this team is
1: yeah and and you know if you follow along with with Florida baseball on your on the Swamp 247 message board you've you've probably engaged Uh, in the conversation a little bit, and you've seen me say this, I think that this Florida team uh, has everything it takes to be an Omaha-caliber team. And now, granted, uh, getting to Omaha is an unbelievably difficult thing. Uh, It requires a lot of things to go perfectly right for you. Healthy players at the right time of the year. Uh, You have to be hot at the right time of the year. You have to win a single weekend series in a super regional to advance to Omaha. So you could have a phenomenal season and play one three-game set and it doesn't go your way and you're done. Uh, Tournament play can be that way. That's how it works. Uh, It's it's why it's so exciting. So I'm not going to stand here or sit here and and try and tell people, you know, Florida should be in the national championship or Florida will reach Omaha. There's no way to know. Uh, Do I think, do I know Florida needs to advance beyond the first round of the NCAA tournament this year? Absolutely. They're currently tied for the longest streak uh, under Kevin O'Sullivan without a super regional appearance. That's something that's got to end. Uh, This year, and especially with the roster that Florida has, you go up and down the group, uh, extremely talented. Uh, The starting lineup, I think is phenomenal. Uh, You have guys one through nine and off the bench who could start for any team in the country. uh, And they're all playing together and producing at a very high clip. Uh, You have guys like Jack Caglione, who has become a phenom, uh, a a national name. If you're a college baseball fan, he has 13 home runs. He's also been pitching great uh, for the Gators as a left handed pitching uh, prospect throwing 99 from the left side on Sundays. Uh, they have Hurston Waldrop, who is a top consensus projected top 15 pick in this upcoming MLB draft has one of the single best pitches, his splitter uh, among all draft prospects this year. Brandon Sproat, Florida's Friday night starters, rolling through nine per, uh, nine complete innings uh, with just one hit allowed, Incredible. nearly a perfect game, uh, just four batters off of the minimum uh, against Alabama and Florida's conference opener. The concern, though, Graham, is this bullpen. Uh, Florida has talented pitchers who are capable of pitching in relief. Uh, have they been as good as expected? No, not, not even close, really. Uh, there have been struggles and hiccups along the way. Kevin O'Sullivan has not shied from that. He has said pretty explicitly uh, that the bullpen has been an unforeseen problem for them, and they feel as though they are more talented uh, than that group has been. Now, granted, we are 22 games in. Conference play is three games old. Uh, like you said, there is a lot of time, a lot of things to learn uh, before we we really have a complete picture of what exactly this Florida team is. But I will say this, I am encouraged by the start that this team is off to. They're going to face Florida State on Tuesday, March 21st, probably shortly after this podcast uh, hits the hits the airwaves. And you might even be listening to it after Florida plays Florida State. And then a weekend series at defending national champion Ole Miss. So this will be a good week uh, to kind of exactly te- you know, test the metal of this Florida team and see exactly how good they are. Uh, Graham, any final thoughts for this podcast where we have now covered uh, all three, Florida uh, basketball, baseball, and football? A- any wrapping up thoughts here for us?
2: I think we just about covered it. A lot of great coverage at Swamp247. If you're interested, make sure you check it out. Subscribe, follow us, leave a comment. We'll respond. We'll see it. Uh, And we'll be back pretty soon here. A lot of great coverage. Follow Blake Alderman for recruiting coverage. Follow at Jacob Brunner on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. And we'll be back pretty soon with more football, basketball, baseball coverage. It's about to get very, very busy. So make sure you stay tuned in.
1: Yeah, you're still in my lines. It has been busy. Uh, We've got lots going on over at Swamp247.com. Like Graham said, Uh, recruiting is in full swing. Blake Alderman does a great job of covering that. Uh, And we would encourage you to check it out. I will say one thing that Graham did not, and that is please check us out on the Swamp 247 message board. We are constantly sharing information over there uh, that doesn't necessarily make its way into stories. And we would love for you to join the conversation with the largest and most active message board community in the Florida market. You can do so by subscribing right over there, swamp247.com, daily Florida coverage of Florida basketball, uh, baseball, and of course, football, which is in full spring with spring ball right now. Uh, Lots and lots of football content going up over at swamp247.com. And lastly, if you're listening to us on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, We definitely appreciate it. Like Graham said, leave a comment. We do read them and we appreciate them. Uh, If you're listening to us on an audio only platform, Spotify, Apple podcast, et cetera, we appreciate you. Uh, And that is, uh, that's pretty much it. For this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast, my name is Jacob Rudner, along with Graham Hall, and we will see you next time.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better